and welcome to this week's edition of the Edge, the official podcast of Bass Television, brought to you by our friends at Ditch Witch. Bass Television is on the World Fishing Network, and don't forget the Wild TV for all you Canucks up there in Canada. And then we'll be back on our home network on the Versus, which will start in January 2009. Aaron Martin's water alongside of me. Aaron, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, Dan. How was that out there in Southern California? <laughs> well, I was actually in Northern California and then found myself quickly in Southern California. But, uh, man, it was all great, and I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, I thought you guys were out in San Diego area there for a while, yeah, weren't you? Yeah, we were around the Stockton area, uh, actually, which is a little bit north of that. And then uh, also up uh, in Clear Lake, which is uh, north of Napa right. Valley around Lakeport. Yeah, okay. Well, I thought you were down in Southern. Well, excuse my vernacular. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we got a pretty good uh, podcast tonight. We're going to be talking with Jared Littner, and I know that uh, for the people who are not familiar with Jared, they should enjoy that interview pretty well. Yeah, Jared brings uh, just a, a really unique personality, obviously based out of uh, out of the Western influence there, and then we'll move on uh, to visit with our good friend Bob Lusk, uh, editor there of the Pond Boss. Yeah, that's going to be pretty cool, and then we'll have a whole bunch more information for you. Are you ready to get going? I am. Let's do it. All right, folks, it's all right here for you on the edge you're listening to the edge the official audio program of bass edge brought to you in part by ditch which is on experience the revolution oh look here i got one i got one look here <laughs> i mean he whacked that football jig the blades will dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait Oh, good fish. Good fish. Did you see him come off that log? Woo, look at that son gun, man. That's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay active. Fishing is not easy. Oh, man, that's a toad. This is unbelievable. All right, welcome to The Edge. This is Outdoors Dan, along with the host of Bass Edge Television, Mr. Aaron Martin. Buddy, uh, what you been up to? Man, I tell you what, I have had a whirlwind of a lot of windshield time, but, uh, you know, it was very well worth it. I think I uh, it was 2,300 miles or something one way, and, uh, you know, two and a half weeks later, I am back uh, at the home base. But in the midst of that, I uh, had some great shows that we've got lined up for next year. Started out at Clear Lake there with Jamie Cyphers. Don't want to give too much away. Uh, from there, we went on to uh, the Delta, filmed with the Frogman himself, and that is Mr. Chris Ball, kind of the king of the Delta one. He and Bobby Barrick have won more than 70 boats, I think, out there. And then uh, finally wound up uh, fishing with Jared Littner. I'm really putting together just numerous patterns, and, and I think everybody's going to get a lot out of those three shows. But uh, in the meantime, I, I look forward to that, and I, uh, I understand that you've kind of been in the North Country, what, doing a bear hunt? Yeah, I was up there filming Outdoors Traditions uh, TV for next year. Yeah, I was in a bear stand for a week and a half, uh, a lot of it sitting in the pouring rain all day. Well, I, I'm, I'm sure, uh, you know, because I had, I think, six of the nine filming days, we were above 103. That's probably not the case for you on, on where you were at. No, I was up in Brimson, Minnesota. I think the highest when I was up there were around 55, 56 degrees. And, wow. And in pouring rain, and of course the bears don't move when it's raining, but you know how it is when you're doing a TV show, oh. you got to sit out there for eight hours anyway. I, I call it reality TV at its best. You know, you get to see... Uh, exactly what goes on and, and what works and what doesn't work, and I'm sure uh, the mosquitoes kept you company while you were up there, though. Well, of course, we both know that the state bird in Minnesota is the mosquito. <laughs> yeah, it, was, uh, it was interesting. I had my safety harness on, so they couldn't carry me off too far. Well, well good. We look forward to seeing that. So. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, and it, with it up, we got a nice bear, so we'll have some good bear meat uh, for the table, and uh, it'll 
good show, but boy, I tell you what, it was a long week and a half. Yeah, I bet. Hey, you know what? I want to talk to you, uh, say congratulations to uh, Steve for that Lifetime Achievement Award. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, Steve Brigman, obviously, he's he's kind of a staple in the outdoor uh, communication department, and uh, he picked up one of those there at the the Midwest Outdoor Press Association. Of course, he, his humble self doesn't like to talk about that too much, but uh, it did get back to me, so we're going to talk about that. But uh, also, then he went uh, the CEOPA conference that uh, just took place. Uh, matter of fact, I think it uh, is wrapping up right now as we speak and uh, received another award out there. So congratulations out to him. And, you know, his book, uh, Somebody's Got to Do It, actually just took off to, I think, to the printing presses. And it's kind of his collection of short stories while being on the road. And rumor has it, Dan, that I think you and I are actually in that book. So uh, I, I take no credit for what good or bad is going to be said about us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't imagine. You know, that's, uh, I, my claim to fame is I've actually wrote the foreword for a book, and it didn't do very well, so yeah. I'm kind of banned from a book sale. Well, well, you know, normally it's, it's kind of like what happens in Bass Edge stays in Bass Edge, but I yeah. think gloves come off when it when, when we're talking about books. So. Well, that's okay, because we've got the podcast that are disposable. So, exactly. Uh, you know, he better watch it. Exactly. There you go. Hey, and uh, I understand you're going to another NASCAR event. Yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, heading... Uh, to Kansas uh, over there with the O'Reilly crew will be basically down in, in the booth there in the tent and uh, we're going to have actually uh, we're taking two trucks and boats this time just because of the size of the venue and we're going to have all kinds of t-shirts stuff you know just free giveaways so if you happen to be up in that area by all means please stop by and, and see us love to meet you love to talk fishing alright folks we got to run we're going to come back with Mr. Jerry Littner and it's going to be right here for you on the ice Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keel Guard. It's simple to install, and we can now beach our boat anywhere. If you own a boat, you need one of these. MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat ramps. Kit started under $140, and best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Welcome back to The Edge, brought to you in part by Ditch Witches On, establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. All right, we are back on The Edge, and this week's guest is BASS Elite Pro Angler, and that is Mr. Jared Littner. Jared, thanks so much for being part of The Edge. Oh, man, it's great. I'm looking forward to it and having a lot of fun. Before we kind of dive off, because you are obviously known for, you know, shallow fishing. I, I know you love, uh, I think, any time that your boat is setting in more than four feet of water is probably too deep for you. But, uh, you know, before we dive off into that, I'd kind of like to go get into a little bit of your background and, you know, just how you got into this sport. Because I think it's a, I think it's a very interesting story that a, a lot of our viewers and listeners would love to hear. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, for years, I, I fished in Minnesota when I was growing up. Uh, my parents owned a fishing resort there and kind of caught the fishing bug, if you will, just fishing off the dock. And when I was seven, eight years old, I was taking aluminum boats going across the lake that I shouldn't have been. But, uh, you know, it, it, it was a really good start for me. And then uh, we came back out here. My family moved back, settled here in California. And I kind of lost it. You know, there wasn't a whole lot to fish around where we moved. And I started playing basketball and I'm fairly successful at that. Met my wife in high school, turned down scholarship offers to go to Division One schools to play some ball, and uh, ended up starting to fish again. And I started putting all my time and effort and missing classes and, and fishing. So it all kind of worked out in the long run, I guess. Now here we are. You know, it's just been a big roller coaster ride up to this point. Well, and and you know the thing when I look at your career, I mean, obviously you've came out of the gates running. How has participating, I guess, possibly in in competitive sports 
in your case, basketball, obviously, at a very, very high level. Has that helped you or helped serve your fishing career? Oh, yeah, without a doubt, you know, um, just being competitive, uh, whether I'm playing checkers with my kids or Xbox, I want to win at everything I do. And I think that all stemmed from growing up playing ball and you just always strive to be the best. And that's kind of instituted in my mind over, you know, just the amount of coaches I've had. And my dad's very, very competitive. You know, it all pretty much stemmed from that. Well, and, and you know, speaking of your dad, your dad was raised in and had some basketball opportunities as well. Yeah, he actually, he was a lot better than me. He was player of the year in, in the whole state of California, and, and uh, he went up and played in Washington, and he actually turned down some offers to uh, play in the NBA. You know, this was back in 1970 or so, but uh, he still still shows me some of the letters, which is pretty exciting, you know. And I feel partly responsible because I was along the same timelines when all that was coming together there, and, and uh, he made a decision to do the right thing and, and be a family man, which, you know, it, it's a hard decision to make when everybody's throwing money at you, and, you know, I'm really grateful for the sacrifice that he made. Sure, and and I'm sure he would do it all over again. Right. And in a recent conversation that you and I had, uh, I don't even know when it was, but we were talking and kind of dove off into a beyond the mechanics, beyond just the fundamentals and, and stemming again from that basketball situation. We were talking specifically about fishing and how that once you get to a certain level, then it really switches over into kind of the mental side. Yeah, you know, a lot of people take for granted the mental side of fishing. I'm still learning a lot. I, I still have a lot to learn in that department. You get to a tour type level or elite level um, where you're fishing against the best guys in the world every everybody's mechanics are pretty much polished i mean there's you know everybody knows how to cast and reel and different techniques and all those factors but the biggest thing that separates everybody is their mental game if you feel like you're not going to do well going into a tournament you're going to eat it you know and, and i've been guilty of that whereas if you maintain a high level of confidence even though you might have the worst practice in the world tomorrow's a new day type attitude and just go out there and catch them it, it really really shows in the, in the long run well and i think you know that plays a part in whether it be fishing or in your job or in your life or whatever if you're kind of out there not to lose instead of going after you know what you know is possible it it affects you yeah yeah without a doubt anything you do i've learned that you got to make yourself think that you're the best even if, you know, there's things to work on or whatever, if you're going into any kind of competition or your job just with a so-so attitude and, and I'm just going to get through the day and go home or whatever, you're not putting your full effort into it. And by the end of the day, you know, you've done nothing but waste your time. Yeah. And as we all know, whether you be recreational or, or whether you're a formal competitor, time is what it's about because you're eliminating water. Maybe you only have so much time off work or on vacation or, you know, the tournament certainly only lasts so many hours. Exactly. Biggest part of tournament fishing is finding the fish in practice, but also in the tournament, keeping an open mind and maybe trying different things if, if uh, you know, your day's not going so well. But in practice, you know, I've been out uh, in the southeast there for three years now. I mean, my first year, I went to some of these lakes like Gunnersville, for example. I fished one whole day on Gunnersville, never caught a bass, didn't even get a bite. Wow. And mentally, it just destroyed me because you know, I've read the magazines, I've watched the TV shows, and Gunnersville's like one of the top lakes in the country. Yeah, it's 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 like the legend. There's more history there than exactly. I mean, it's it's instead of getting down on myself and and really, you know, oh, there's no fish in here and blah blah blah. I just ran to different areas and and tried different techniques, and, and I got tons of bites. Whereas if I would have buried myself the first day in practice, I might have zeroed the tournament on Gunnersville, which is very very hard to do. But you just gotta you know keep a positive outlook on things, even though the day might be going horrible. It can always change, you know, sometimes just a little tiny change in your techniques or your areas or whatever you're doing, just a little tiny thing 
can turn into great things. Do you normally start, you know, talking about changing and, and making those decisions? Do you normally start with something small, maybe like a bait color, or um, will you up and change not only the bait category, but the color, but possibly even the location? Well, you know, a lot of that depends on the time of the year. If we're fishing a pre-spawn bite, you know, and the weather's been pretty much stable, you pretty much know, you know, that fish are going to be aggressive. They're going to bite spinner bait, most likely a flipping stick, and just changing colors and, and things like that kind of contrast the uh, watercolor, you're going to get bites. Now, if I'm not getting bites in an area and everything's set up perfect, it's time to move areas. I mean, all like at Gunnersville, for example, going back to that, we were there in May and there were still some fish up on the bed. I, w- I was in this area of the lake where it looked great, but I never seen a bass. I never saw life of any kind. So that told me right there, you know, there's no fish in here. I mean, I just up and left and went to the other side of the lake, basically, and there they are. So, I mean, it kind of depends. If you feel like there's fish in an area, then it's time to kind of grind it out and and change your base, change your technique. But sometimes, I mean, you know, it might not be the best area of the lake, even though it looks right. And for some reason, the fish just aren't there. Maybe they sprayed the weeds or fish haven't moved in there yet. Well, and I I think that's, that's a great point because it might be a circumstance that's beyond our control as far as what's going on with the fish. But oftentimes, especially in those reservoirs, perhaps by changing location or something like that, there is literally, you know, things that are happening across the lake. I think you even referenced um, last time we spoke that at any given time, there's multiple patterns that's going on in any particular body of water. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's another huge thing I've learned, you know, fishing in the southeast. If you find the right, the right group of fish, you can win pretty much on almost any technique. I mean, it's almost been proven over the past three years now in the Elite Series. A guy won with a jig, and, and then the next year at the same lake, he'll win with a swim bait or, you know, pitching a Cinco. I mean, there's so many variations. You just got to find the right group of fish to win. But, you know, keep changing your, your techniques and your approaches on what they're biting on or, or feeding on rather than just, you know, I like throwing a jerk bait. So that's all I'm going to throw in practice. No, you can't do that. You got to keep trying different things and, and expand on it. Having moved to California at a very early age and obviously still being a resident there, you know, your fishing has led you to always put you in a position to where you have to go after, you know, bigger fish. You're trying to upgrade. And obviously, I think for all of our listeners, whether we are fishing, you know, from the shoreline or a pond or, you know, from a bass boat in a tournament, uh, recreationally, what have you, there's always that desire. You know, I always say we're very greedy because we always want to one-up ourselves on size. Are there things that you do that will put you in a position to you know, try and catch larger fish. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, the fishermen here in California have really diverse fisheries, and we're really fortunate that there's a lot of big bass here. You know, we, we have a real long growing season. I mean, most of these lakes, the water temp doesn't get below 48 very often, and if it does, it's there for a couple of days. So bass's metabolism is always going. I mean, they're always feeding. They get big. In saying that, there's things you can do to increase your odds of catching a larger bass. On some of the clear water reservoirs, you know, throwing the big swim baits obviously is, is the way to catch them, especially in the Southern California lakes. But most of the time, whether it's the Delta, Clear Lake, Shasta, if you're catching them, you know, you're catching solid keepers, say, on a, on a pig and jig on rock pile. And you got like 15 pounds, decent little limit. Just changing up, throwing maybe a top water, even though it might be November or December, even, I've caught them. Throwing a big old black buzz bait, you know, in really extreme shallow water, you know, on a sunny bank, bank that time of year, they'll come up and bite it. You, you're not going to catch maybe one fish, but if you get that bite, it'll put you over the edge, you're going to win the turn. Whereas if you just sat there on the rock pile, you might upgrade by half a pound and get eighth, ninth place in the tournament and 
go on to the next one. But that's how, I mean, just fishing a lot of local tournaments around California, I've learned to, instead of trying to upgrade small amounts, you get your decent limit, you go out and you chase a big one, either just doing something completely out of the box. I mean, not, you know, not really throwing a pig and jig on that rock pile and then turn around and throw a shaky head on the same <laughs> rock pile. Right. It, you're going to catch the same fish. You know, there's generally schools running size. And those bigger fish, they isolate themselves. They feed one time a day. So a big bait offering in the right areas, you know, you're going to capitalize and, and, and eventually win a turn. Mm-hmm. Does that mean then in that situation that you'll move out deeper or are you just changing baits to still target, to, you know, those shallow fish? Fishing shallow um, is pretty much what I'm confident in. I've won a lot of tournaments here in California, you know, because a lot of guys are sitting out, sitting out on those rock piles. And, you know, I, I've had a lot of success. I've won tournaments out in 40 to 60 feet, you know, throwing jigs and things like that. But throughout the day, in a key period of time, I'll find, you know, you get a gut feeling like, hey, man, I need to run back of this creek. There's some laydowns. I might be able to get a big one on it. And sometimes you get them, sometimes you don't. But then if you don't, what I'll do is I'll go back out to those same areas and upsize my bait. There's a tournament at one of my local lakes where I won where we were catching them on a seven inch worm, just Texas rig, fishing really slow. We went and tried a bunch of shallow stuff, couldn't get anything going. We had a decent limit in the boat and uh, I tied up a 12 inch power worm, the old standard. I threw it out there and I got one bite the rest of the day. It was a six pounder and we ended up winning by two pounds. So, I mean, just by changing the size of bait sometimes will draw, draw a bigger fish, but you gotta, you gotta do something different usually for those big bites. Jared, that is all really good information. And the downside is we're out of time. But the good news is we did a little show together. So uh, that'll be coming up for next season sometime between January and March. And uh, give us a little teaser because we had a good time. Well, you know, we started out kind of slow, but we ended up figuring them out and and catching some real nice fish. And uh, we had a really good time. I'll just there you go so any closing thoughts or uh, comments before we get out of here jared well you know i really appreciate the the interview and the time we spent together and uh invite the listeners to go to bassedge.com if they have any questions for me i'd be more than happy to answer them and keep in touch well thanks so much jared for your time and uh in the meantime best of luck in your upcoming season hey thanks have a good drive back This is Outdoors Dan, along with the host of Bass Edge Television, Aaron. Mr. I Can't Get Enough of Those In-N-Out Burgers, Martin. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was a good segment. I, I really enjoyed that. And I didn't know he uh, he really liked to throw some hoops. Oh, man. I guess I didn't really totally appreciate his, his history coming into that. But, yeah, I mean, he could have went to any Division One school. I mean, he turned down scholarships from uh, some phenomenal schools that uh, I couldn't have even begun to, to think about going based upon my ACT score, let alone my basketball abilities. But uh, certainly, I mean, he's a phenomenal basketball player. And, you know, his dad was, was actually uh, quite the ball player as well. And he said his dad was, you know, twice the player that he was, which I, I can't possibly imagine. Yeah, turning down the NBA draft, that's pretty remarkable, Ooh, man. Because that, that took place right when Jared was being born. And he said, you know, my dad elected to kind of be a father first and, and be a, a basketball player second. And so hats off to him, you know. That, that just says a lot about uh, the type of upbringing that, that Jared was able to experience. Oh, absolutely. Kudos. Hey, you know, he, he really has a good insight on the mental side of fishing because, I mean, it, you, if you're going to do this every day, in and out, even though you love it, it wears on you. It's just like with me sitting in a tree or whatever, you know, when I'm out fishing. I mean, when you're doing it for a living, there's a stress level there that most people just don't understand. And, boy, there is a mental side the size of Mars that comes along with that. 
Boy, you hit the nail on the head. And, you know, I think regardless if you're competing in a, in a formal level or just recreationally, you know, how many times are we out there uh, kind of going through the motions and maybe not uh, kind of factoring in, do I need to move, do I need to make a change? And in Jared's case, obviously, he's competing you know, at the elite level, kind of at that upper echelon to where every single one of those guys can catch fish. And he goes back to really kind of his basketball days and bringing over that competitive spirit and knowing, you know, he said when he played uh, junior college very early on, every time that he stepped on the court, he assumed the feeling that he was better than any player that was out there, not from an arrogance or an egotistical standpoint, but rather that's just his mindset. And, you know, he transitions that really into his fishing that I guess every time he, he starts that key or grabs that rod and reel during practice or during the tournament, you know, he instills in himself that he has just as good a chance as anybody to put together that winning pattern and that, quite frankly, he can be the best. And, and I think that goes a long way, you know, when it comes to, to fishing competitively. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you, you got to believe it's going to happen. I know it's like sitting out there bear hunting in the rain, you know. It's hard to sit there and sit still for seven hours, but you got to just channel that and say, you know, that bear's going to come in any minute. you got to be still. Well, and, and, and I think that goes back to what, what we've talked about many times here on The Edge, and that's the fact that, you know, you can go through thousands of casts, maybe with, with little or no success, but essentially what you're doing is you're, you're putting together uh, kind of a system and eliminating what is not working. And the moment that that changes, perhaps that you, you get that bite or, or you catch that fish and, and you start building upon that, it's amazing how quickly you forget all of those other things. And, you know, I go back to the story that he referred to in the interview concerning Lake Gunnersville. You know, he spent a whole day of practice, which Lake Gunnersville, like he said, you know, I mean, it's truly a legendary place. Uh, you would think go out, be easy to catch fish there. He spent a whole day there, did not even get a bite. And, you know, what he found was is that he had to abandon everything that he was doing to produce a different result. Otherwise, obviously, that's kind of the definition of insanity, you know, continue doing same the thing same over thing over and over, and over yeah, again. Yeah. And when he made that change and changed areas and, and kind of really placed him in a different mental state, man, it all changed and, uh, you know, he experienced the success that he was looking for. Yeah, a lot of nuances there. Oh, man. You know, especially when you go into different lakes. It's crazy. No question. All right, man, we got to run. Are you ready to go see what Mr. Lusk is up to? Let's do it. Folks, we're going to go see what Bob Lusk is on the inside edge this week. We'll be right back after these words. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The Tow and Stow Receiver Hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. All right, we are back on the edge, and joining us for this week's installment of the Inside Edge is Mr. Bob Lusk. Bob, uh, great to have you back on the show again. Hey, Aaron, it's a pleasure to hang out with you guys. You know, Bob, we, we kind of had a, a, I guess, a schedule set up of what we were going to talk about, and, and since have changed gears, just given the, the conditions that we find ourselves, and, and that is uh, kind of in the midst of, of all these weather changes that are going on, specifically, you know, the most recent Hurricane Ike. And, uh, you know, just wanted to get your thoughts on what impact that has for whether it be public waterways or even private waterways. Aaron, I'll tell you what, when, when you have a storm of the magnitude of an ike, it's almost as big as the state of Texas when it makes landfall. The ramifications of that on waterways 
public and private are, are astounding. One of the things that strikes me first is, of course, when it makes landfall around the coastline, the first thing it does is start to eliminate beaches and do things in the surf and churn up sand and dirt and completely alters that habitat. And then as it moves inland and moves over dice wetlands that are breeding grounds for shrimp and fish and saltwater fish that, that are going to end up growing up in the Gulf of Mexico, yeah, that habitat is destroyed or depleted or at least, at the very, very least, it's altered. The plants change. They get down. They get washed away. When you get a surge of water... You know, water is eight pounds per gallon. And when you throw a gallon of water at 100 miles an hour, just imagine getting hit right in the head with a Nolan Ryan fastball. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> that that's what happens to the wetlands and, and the waterways as this storm of this magnitude moves inland. You throw in the fact that there's debris from what used to be houses and businesses and structures, you know, that lift these waterways, it, it has a devastating effect. With you saying of what is added to the water and, and, you know, how things are changed, I mean, that significantly has a has an impact on it because just looking at it, you know, from a personal standpoint, you know, I, I think I was telling you I'd just gotten back last week from uh, from California and, you know, when the storm hit. And my house is located in the, in the Midwest, you know, some 600-plus miles away from that. And the devastation that we saw here just from the amount of water that came in, you know, finally Table Rock was was actually getting back to, to normal levels. You know, we got seven inches of rain. That's amazing. And, you know, when you think about the rain that comes into a lake or a river or a pond, for that matter, and you're talking about anywhere from seven to ten to twelve inches of, of rain, that's just how much water's coming straight down. That doesn't count what runs into it off of fields and mountains and you know, ditches and off concrete. So there's massive amounts of water that come in. And what's really interesting is water being the universal solvent, it, it dissolves everything that it can and brings it with it. So, you know, a, a, a lake can be a pretty stable environment, but then when it gets flushed with big volumes of water, it changes the chemistry of that water, and that can have an impact on fish. Well, and are there things, for instance, like even private landowners or uh, in private waterways that have their own lakes and, and things along those lines, you know, it, it really places the integrity of kind of the dams and, you know, not only just the chemistry of water, but you had mentioned earlier and, and kind of shared a story with me about an individual that, uh, you know, was kind of picking up limbs around the yard and, you know, kind of neglected to uh, the impact that that would have on his personal waterway. Yeah, after Hurricane Rita three years ago, just shortly after Katrina, I was visiting with a man in southeast Texas, right on the border of Texas and Louisiana, the same area that was hit with Hurricane Ike just a few days ago. He had a bunch of pine trees blow over into one of his ponds, it's five or six acres, and he loves his pond, grows fish, you know, has some big bass and enjoys it immensely. But he was so concerned about taking care of his home and his property around the house that he didn't think much about the pond and what ended up happening with with all the greenery that made its way into his pond, that stuff steeped in there, kind of like tea leaves do. And with that much organic matter, it changed the chemistry of his water pretty dramatically. And he, four or five days later, he ended up with a fish kill. And it never crossed his mind that, that that could happen. But I'll tell you, when you get a fresh influx of organic matter into a body of water, it changes it. It has to. So are there things that we can do as conservationists, as anglers, um you know, that that would help the situation any? Well, I think the most important thing is conservation is just to be aware of it. Uh, I don't know that there's a lot you can do because there's the priority of things when we get 
ravaged by such a storm. You know, the priority first is life. We want to protect ourselves and our families and, and the people that we care about. We want to get everybody out of there. And then after that, the next thing we want to do is protect our property, which includes our houses and our vehicles and those things of value to us. And it, it, as long as we're aware that there could be an impact to a body of water or a pond, well, if it's our pond or our body of water, then it makes sense to maybe go pull some of that stuff out after a storm passes. But again, you know, that's not really a priority. When it, when it comes to other bodies of water like public lakes, you know, that's part of nature. Nature runs in cycles, and these storms run in cycles. They come every year somewhere. So I don't think there's a lot we can do about it other than to be cognizant and aware of what those changes are. What would be your suggestions as far as when targeting, you know, bass or, or any species, for that matter, post one of these storms? Are there things that that you need to alter and change in, in our approach as anglers? The fact that there has been a change, sometimes that's not necessarily a bad thing. You, you know, if, if I'm going to go fish a Lake Livingston, for example, which this Hurricane Ike blew right over the top of Lake Livingston, I don't know that I would change a lot other than to see if the fish are behaving differently as an angler. And I don't see that as any different than any other opportunity that I'd have to go fishing. I'd treat that lake just like I'd treat any other lake in my pursuit of trying to catch fish. Great information, and, and I appreciate uh, you willing to respond to just kind of the current conditions that we're faced with uh, here with these changing weather patterns. And, you know, for our listeners, Bob, um, I know there's several ways to get in, in contact with you there at, at Pond Boss. Uh, could you share those with us uh, so that we could be sure if we have any questions, we can, we can get those directed to you? You bet. People can reach me at pondboss.com and click on the uh, Ask the Boss or click into the contact information. My email address is pondboss at texoma.net. Texoma is spelled T-E-X-O-M-A. All right. Well, very good, Bob. And uh, certainly, I know you're always available there through BassEdge.com. Appreciate your time and look forward to doing it again in the near future. You bet. And our prayers are with all those that have uh, been impacted from the Texas coast all the way into Canada by Hurricane Ike. When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My Cook's go-to tackle system keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space in my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cook's tackle system by calling 1-888-390-8780 or online at cooksgoto.com. Welcome back to The Edge. All right, welcome back on The Edge. You know, Aaron, I was kind of glad I listened to that whole interview because when you emailed me and told me that Bob was going to be talking about hurricanes on the pond, I'm going, you know, that sounds relaxing, having a nice hurricane and sitting there watching the sunset. <laughs> yeah. Then it dawned on me that he was talking about the weather pattern. Yeah. Obviously, this, this weather season uh, has just been tremendous. I mean, you know, I got back from California on that Saturday night. Well, the remnants of Ike was coming through. We had over 20-some trees that was down in our subdivision, you know, all the way up 600 miles from where it happened. Now, this um, is in Missouri. This is in Missouri. That is correct. And yeah. down on Table Rock, there were several boats that were sunk docks that broke loose, all kinds of stuff and havoc that, that played a part in that. And, and what I can't imagine is, you know, experiencing that firsthand. And, you know, also through the, the last issue of the e-newsletter, 
um, Dana Weiss. He his whole article was he was down in South Texas uh, for the first go around of the hurricane. So you know we've had some situations, a lot of weather changes. But I thought uh, Bob's commentary on how that that influx of of weather systems, but also water. You know, you bring that much new water and nutrients into a river or a private pond or even a public reservoir, uh, it throws everything out of balance. And, you know, I I kind of chuckled, I I guess, because, you know, he's a true consummate professional by saying, you know, first thing you want to worry about is your own safety and security and and those type of things and and forget really the impacts that it has on, on the particular body of water. But uh, bottom line is, is it does have, have an impact, you know. No, absolutely. I, I've got a good friend of mine at a lake, and we had uh, several years ago, we had a lot of flooding in the area. And, uh, instead of worrying about his house, he was on the backside of the lake on the spillway or the overflow, mm-hmm. getting all the fingerlings and everything that were flowing out of his ponds in a net to put them back so, so he didn't lose his fish. Yeah. and yeah. I mean, it's crazy, but I mean... He loved that body of water, and he wasn't going to lose his fish. Right, and and you know it's just like that's a, a story that kind of complements the one that Bob told about you know all the debris and the limbs, uh, the pine trees that that fell into uh, a gentleman's you know private pond that they were managing, and they didn't catch it early enough. And and what happened was from the acid and and some things like that that came out of those pine trees and the and the decomposition, uh, and then just really the change of balance. Uh, within the nutrients of the water had a massive fish kill. So anyway, all those types of things, I, I think, ultimately influence our fishing and, and our day on the water. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's something to think about. And, you know, all our thoughts and prayers from, uh, you know, Bass Edge and the Edge here goes out to all the people suffering through that. Cause, hey, listen, I've been through the floods of 93. I know how it was, and, uh, you know, our hearts and prayers go out to you. Well, no, no question, and, and really... Uh, you know, to be sitting here talking about fishing is both an honor and a privilege, but certainly when there's things like this going on, you really kind of put things in perspective. Yeah, keep your chin up. When everything's down, there's only one place to go up. My dad always told me that, and he was right, because yep. I've been down, and you just got to go up. That's right. That's It'll right. get better, so just keep a positive mental attitude. Do Dr. J on it. There you, go. there you go. There you go. Hey, uh, you know what? Have you seen the latest Bass merchandise, uh, Aaron? Uh, I have. It's 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 been a little while. You know, sometimes uh, being out on this end of you know the podcast and stuff like this, you and I aren't always the first to get to uh, kind of see well, that I stuff. The fishing chair was a good touch. <laughs> yeah. I like that big old large mouth lazy boy. I, that just set it home. Right there. there you go. He's, it's got your rod holder and your drink holder, of course, Absolutely. non-alcoholic. Sit I'm there sure. In your living room and That's watch right. Fat watch bath and have your rod right there. And your notebook holder and uh, yeah. iPod and all the other stuff. You yeah. got your electronics hook up in the back. And, I mean, that's a good chair. Yeah, it is a good chair. But <laughs> no, there's there's a lot of great stuff on there. You know, and and speaking of of that, uh, actually, somebody uh, I think won this week. Uh, we have a lucky winner that's going to win some of that stuff. Yeah, somebody from California. Uh, what would they do? Give you some money while they were out there? Yeah, they must have slipped some extra gas or something in, in the old gas tank while I was out there. But uh, I Manuel? think Manuel from uh, San Jose, California. Oh, there you go, Manuel. Anyway, I think he wins uh, Bass Edge Season 1 DVD and a Bass Edge decal. So. Well, congratulations. That's yep. awesome. Just goes to show you, you know, you, you do that uh, weekly entering, and uh, it does pay off. So we'd like yeah, to encourage Yeah, don't forget to include your shipping info. That's right. I'm still getting emails about that. (laughs) Hey, uh, you know what? Also, don't forget about the newsletter. We're getting into the fall, which, you know, and I think Aaron and I both have said this a thousand times. It's one of our more favorite times to fish. And if you're looking for some quick tips 
on fall fishing. I know that'll be right there in the newsletter. And don't forget to head over to the Ask the Pro section, and all the new video clips are up. And I know you guys will enjoy that, and it's all free. No question. What's up next week? Next week, uh, we have BASS elite angler, I think 11-year veteran, and that is Mr. Mark Tucker. And then also, uh, we're hoping to catch up with uh, Major Cody Robertson directly from Iraq uh, to give us a report on all the uh, great things that the Army Bass Anglers has going on, but also just kind of what's going on uh, there directly in in, uh, the State of the Union uh, from his perspective there in Iraq. So we look forward to that. All right, Semper Fi, everybody. We'll see you next time right here on The Edge. Bass Edge would like to thank the following sponsors who make the Edge audio program possible. Ditch Witch. Mother's Waxes and Polishes, B&W Trailer Hitches, Megaware Keel Guard, Cook's Tackle Management Systems, Ardent Rule the Water, Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Superstar Batteries, and the Clarks Hill Partnership of Georgia. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.